so good to be with you today. Uh, I was talking to Burton and a few other people. They were telling me uh, that this this area in the San Fernando Valley has been really hard hit with the COVID virus, and I didn't know that. And uh, so I I just uh, my heart goes out to you. Um, out in Ventura, where we're at, it's a lot less. Although uh, the hospitals seem to be at capacity already, and so I just recognize, you know, this is a time where there's a kind of a cloud of worry over pretty much the whole world. You know, I mean, there's a few places. My part of my family is in New Zealand, uh, where they were able to kind of lock everything down, and they really—I don't think they have any cases there. But um, you know, I just want to recognize we're in we're in uncertain times, and uh, I prayed about. Um, what I could share, I, at the end I'm going to show a few photos and talk a little bit about Portugal, but just to begin, um, I do feel like God gave me a word for, for the church. Uh, if you want to open up in um, Genesis uh, chapter 16, um, this isn't a canned message, you know, it's, it's something I just prayed about this week and, uh, oh sorry, no, Genesis 26, I think I wrote it, I, I wrote it wrong on the on the second slide, Genesis 26. Um, it's a famous story uh, from the life of Isaac. And, and the title that, I, that you can see on the screen there, um, basically what I want to talk to you about is this idea, what God gives is better than what we can get. What God can give us is so much greater than what we can get in our own strength. Um, I've got my, my two kids here, Gabriel and Emily, uh, I have three kids, but Laura is a little bit too much of a, like a, a wild one, so I left her at home. Um, <laughs> but uh, so um, Katie is actually at our at the church that we go to in Ventura. This is our last Sunday there, so she's uh, ha- passing out some Christmas cards and things like that. That's why she's not here. Um, but she she sends her love and her thankfulness. But I was thinking about my kids and my spiritual gift. Uh, is probably more than anything teaching. That's kind of the thing. You can kind of tell what your spiritual gifts are because they're the things that people say, hey, you know, you're good at that. And, the, and you can think of all the things that they don't say you're good at. And, and you're like, oh, yeah, I guess I'm not an evangelist. Or um, Even when I was a, a, a senior pastor for 16 years, it was funny because I pastored people, but the pastoring part was always out of, God gave me strength, but it was always out of my weakness you know, dealing with the conflicts, dealing with the administration. The teaching part, not that that was easy, but I could tell that people would, would encourage me more about that than a lot of other things, you know. Um, but it's interesting, as a teacher, I, I find myself, the way I express love to my kids uh, is a lot of times trying to teach them stuff. And, and it's funny because sometimes they are open to that and sometimes not. Like, uh, living in Ventura these last few years, we're, we're near the beach, and a few times I'd go out with Gabriel, and, and I'd try to teach him how to surf and get out in the water, and some days it just wasn't really flowing, you know, I'd be like, hey, why don't you try this or try that, you know, and, and, uh, and I, I, I bring that to just what we're talking about today, because I see how God, his heart is so always I was going to say so often, but not often, always. His heart is always to help us. He wants to give us gifts. He wants to bless us. And, and yet, sometimes we just kind of want to go it alone. You know, we, want, we kind of want to do things uh, in our own strength. And I remember years ago when I was pastoring in Brazil, uh, a, a pastor from Assemblies of God came and visited us. I think it was at a Christmas event. And he could tell that I was like running around doing all kinds of stuff. I was really busy, kind of like all huffing and puffing and running around. And, and he said something to me. He said, hey, Pastor David. Um, and he didn't say it in a condescending or a corrective way, but I knew it was from God, and it was a correction. And he said, you know, David, there's a big difference between working for God and working with God. And, and man, when he said that to me, it just totally hit me, and I was thinking, man, I am so just like working for God, you know, as opposed to working with Him um, so often. Uh, so that's really what this message is about. And so, you know, here in Genesis 26, this is the story of Isaac. It's a famous story of where Isaac redigs the wells that Abraham had dug. 
but the Philistines had come and filled him up with dirt. And so uh, we can start here, chapter 26, uh, verse, uh, verse 17. Um, so Isaac moved away from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died. And he gave them the same names his father had given them. So we see that this is a time where there is, there is initiative on the part of Isaac. Isaac's dad has died. Abraham is, is dead. And Isaac is not just sitting around. These are tough times. We could kind of identify with what Isaac's going through when we think about what we're experiencing in the world right now. There is famine in the land. Isaac has the same promises that God gave to Abraham, that he's going to give him this land of Canaan, that he's going to make him into a great nation. He's going to have so many descendants. God's going to prosper him. God's going to use him as a blessing to all nations. But when he looks around, there's a famine. He's surrounded by Philistines. You know, he's not just in, in Canaan in, in a generic sense. He's actually in the Philistine area, which is the worst place, because those are like the arch enemies of Israel. So he's surrounded by enemies. He's surrounded by tough times economically. But he's, he's being proactive. He's trying to do whatever he can. And I, as I'm sharing this with you, I'm sure that there are so many people here that, I mean, you guys are probably the survivors in many cases. I was telling Pastor Ryan at, at our church in Ventura, I, I think it's a good like 25 to 30% of the church has actually moved out of state because they lost their jobs, they just couldn't uh, pay rent or pay their mortgage, and they just, you know, when it was April, March, May, June, they were kind of holding on, but by now, there's just been real attrition. It's not people who like hate California, the politics or whatever, oh, I'm leaving. It's people that just literally can't survive financially. And, and so um, I, I, I believe I'm talking to a group of people here who, some more than others, but I be, I'm sure everyone has been touched by this crisis. And, the, and a lot of us are, are just struggling, trying to do our best to, to take initiative and do what we can. And, you know, Isaac, as he takes initiative here to redig these wells, he faces opposition. And in this case, he moves on. Um, sometimes that is what God has for us. I want to share, too, it's an interesting thing as a missionary. Sometimes we kind of spiritualize things as if these decisions, like our decision to go to Portugal, as if these things just happen, they're really easy. It's like we go to a prayer meeting. Uh, you know, when we moved back to California, we weren't sure how long we were going to be here. But we thought maybe it would be long term. In the end, it's going to be about three years. But when we moved back, we thought maybe it's going to be for 10 years, 20 years. Who knows? I was working with my dad in his office and, and uh, doing some other ministry things. God had opened up opportunities for us in Ventura. And um, we weren't sure that it was just going to be a short-term thing. And this transition to Portugal, in many ways, it was through things getting really hard in a lot of different ways. Financially is one of them. And just thinking about what can we, what's the best that we can do as a family to fulfill our call? And, and this is an interesting thing because as things get really tough, sometimes we're supposed to move on, sometimes we're supposed to persevere, and how do we know the difference? You know, I, there is no simple answer because actually the only way we can know is by walking and talking with God and having a relationship with God. And, and, and the other thing is too, we can't manipulate God and make him do what we want when we want. And I totally believe in fasting and praying. I believe we should seek God. You know, the word says that you have not because you, you ask not. We're supposed to knock and knock on that door and ask the Lord. But we can't manipulate and force things to happen. And uh, I just want to share, you know, an encouragement, just be real with you guys. You know, this, this transition for our family, we're really excited we, we, we feel now, after a process of about probably six months of us deciding to go to Portugal, and then, and then going through this whole process of getting the visa, 
we feel now totally like this is what God wants us to do. But the process of coming to that decision was really hard. It was really hard. And, uh, and, and so there is no easy answer when we're supposed to move on, when we're supposed to persevere, except coming close to the Lord. Amen? Just being in relationship with Him. Relationships are messy. You know, my relationship with my wife, maybe two days ago I feel like we're doing good, and then yesterday... I'm like, hey, I think we need to work on some stuff. And it's dynamic. You know, you can't just be like, oh, yeah, now I figured it out. And that's how it is with God. Um, we have to be seeking Him. So let's, uh, we read to verse, what, how, where, how long did we get? We got to 18, right? Let's read on to verse 21. Uh, verse 19, Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen and said, The water is ours. So he named the well Esek, which means dispute, because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well, but they quarreled over that one also, so he named it Sitna, which means opposition. So now Isaac, he shows, you know, he's facing adversity, but he doesn't quit. He doesn't get all... Uh, kind of whimpering and, and wimping out, he, decide, he faces it head on. You know, over the years I've counseled a lot of couples, and, and so often it's sad to see that we men are the ones who give in to discouragement a lot of times uh, before our wives do. And, and, and we don't want to lead. And a lot of times, I've seen so many times in my own marriage where my wife is the one who has to come along and say, hey, Get up, man. What are, you, what are you doing, David? It's like, you're the leader of our family. And, and my wife has been the one sometimes who's had to come and encourage me where, where I'm just thinking, hey, you know what? I, I tried to lead. I took initiative, but where did it get me? Things just seem to be getting worse. So we, here we see that Isaac, he doesn't give up. He digs those wells, but he faces more opposition, just opposition after opposition. And that's what's going to happen when you decide to believe in the promises that God has given you, and you decide to take steps towards that, it's not going to get easier. That, that's a lot of times the problem we have with our expectation. If we expect that we, we receive a prophetic word, like I remember when, when I felt that God gave me the direction to come back to California, I was in uh, Ojai with my brother Paul, rock climbing, and I'm not a rock climber, it was like, my brother Paul's a rock climber, and, and, and I kind of want to be macho, and he invites me to go rock climbing. I'm like, of course, I'm down. Like, let's go rock climbing. And at that time, this is in 2017, I, I already had, could feel like our ministry time in, in Brazil, it just seemed like the grace and the joy that we had, it just seemed like something had changed. And, and we were more excited about change than, than continuing. And, but I was really just totally torn up about the idea of what it would be like to tell the church that we were going to leave. I just felt like I couldn't even imagine how horrible that would be. And I would feel like I was totally letting people down and, and uh, all these people who had served our family. It's almost like I felt like they would be like, why would you leave? I mean, haven't we loved you guys enough? I mean, we did everything that, for you guys, you know? And I would say, yes, we couldn't have asked for a better church. I mean, you guys have just loved us unconditionally, and just, we couldn't ask for a better church than you guys. But it was that day I was rock climbing, and it was funny, I was, I was so terrified. I got like about 100 feet up, and literally, I just felt like I was just panicking, and like, I was just imagining my brother having to rescue me, and it just feels weird, you know, it just feels wrong. You're just hanging off this cliff, you know the rope has you, but you get up to a point, and you're like, this is wrong. Like Everything in my body was just saying, you should not be doing this. And, but it was funny because we came down. I survived. And, um, and, and I didn't have to get rescued. I, I like somehow got through it. Um, but it was funny because I told Paul that day. I was like, you know what? He was the first one I actually told. Because my wife, as usual, she already has like hears from God like way before me. She was already like saying for like a few years, hey, you know, I think our time in Brazil is coming to an end. Um, but it was funny because Paul was the first one I told. I said, you know, I, I feel like we're going to come back to the U.S. for a while. And I remember him saying, he's like, Dave, your return to, to America is going to be triumphant. 
And it was so funny because wh where I'm going with this is that you receive a word like that. Your return to the U.S. is going to be triumphant. But what do you, you imagine like, okay, great, it's done, right? We're just going to triumph. But what does that mean? In order to triumph, it means there's going to be a battle, you know? There's going to be opposition. It's going to be, you know, you're going to triumph means you're going to be into a huge travail for the prophecy to happen. And personally, when I receive prophecy, I don't think that that means that that promise is totally in the bag, you know? It's like there's going to be a whole process and a battle, and Satan hears that too, and he, his, his radar is there, and he's like, okay, that's exactly what I'm going to try to thwart and make not happen. So, you know, that, this story is about that. And so um, Isaac moves on again. If you look at verse 22, the beginning of it, um, so he moved on from there and dug another well. Um, you know, and moving on is really hard. Transition is so tough. I, I, I've heard uh, research about leadership that says, like, most people don't like change, like something like 75%. Then there's, there's a smaller percentage that like change, which is like maybe 10. And then there's a tiny percent, like maybe 5% or less, that actually they like change and they like to make change happen. So by nature, we're, we, we, we're not always liking to rip up our little, our little garden, our little vegetable patch, you know, rip that up and then go somewhere else. I mean, these logistical changes, like just speaking of us going to, to Portugal, it's, it's, uh, it's actually hilarious. Like today, Pastor Ryan, Bert, and a few others were asking me practical questions about our move, and I have no idea. Like, I have no idea really if they're, what the travel bans are. I'm just kind of happy. I'm like, no information is good, right? No news is good news. I mean, I bought the tickets. I have a visa. I just assume I'm going to go to LAX. No one's told me otherwise. Uh, I mean, Burton was telling me today we probably need to get tested for COVID, and, and, and that might take a few days. So first thing tomorrow, I'm going to do that. Um, but we're in the Northern Hemisphere in Portugal, so the kids are going to have to go right back into school there. And I've been quizzing them on Portuguese. You know, they've, they've been living here for three years, and their Portuguese has suffered a bit. Sorry, guys, you know, they, they know. Maybe, my, maybe not my oldest daughter, I don't know, but my younger ones. At breakfast, I was telling them, I say, how do you say apple, you know? How do you say window? How do you say... And they weren't doing too good. I was like, dude, these are like basic things, man. In a couple weeks, you're going to be thrown into school in Portugal, you know? And, they, and their accent is totally different than Brazil. It's, it's almost like for an American, if you were to move to like Northern Ireland or Scotland, some like really weird... It's still English, but it's just really strange. And so, um, you know, these transitions... Uh, are, are tough, but seeking stability is, and this is again, this is I feel is prophetic for us today. I felt like God wanted me to say to you, and, and God has said to me, that seeking stability is futile. Seeking God is the only real security and peace. Amen? You know, I mean, isn't that, when you try to seek stability, like when you get into that mode of like trying to keep your job, you know, or, 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 or like trying to keep your marriage together, but you're terrified of your spouse, you know? It, it, you're like, you're afraid of divorce. You're afraid of, you have this shadow over you. That, that, that doesn't produce anything, you know? I, I mean, even towards the end of my time in Brazil, that was one of the things that I felt towards the end of the time of my, my journey there, pastoring that church, I started to feel like I was ministering to people more out of fear than love. Something was different in my heart. It was just like I just had this sense that I didn't have the passion and the courage to go on and lead them in, in courage. I, I, what I was doing was I was kind of thinking like, oh, I hope this doesn't happen. I hope that doesn't happen. I hope that person doesn't say this to me, you know. And, and I just felt like the grace was not there. And, and seeking, seeking stability, seeking to protect ourselves in a shell is futile. And, and, you know, we're realizing that even in a country like America that's prospered, a place like California that so many people just think, wow, wouldn't it be great to live in Southern California? But, but we're experiencing that you never know what could happen. I mean, who, I, none of us have been through what has happened these last several months. 
um, the only real security and peace is seeking God. It's the, only, it's the only thing. There's been many times in my life that I sought something that I thought was, go- was going to give me peace and security. I'm the son of, uh, of uh, missionaries, and my dad and my grandma, who were my main uh, kind of models growing up, they had itinerant ministries of traveling and teaching. And I remember thinking, you know what? I really want to have a more stable life, so I'm going to go into church planning and being a pastor. And I realized that that was totally uh, an erroneous idea in my mind. Because actually in the church, people are coming and going all the time. You know, you invest, and actually it hurts so much more because you invest in people's lives. And you don't do it thinking like, oh, these people are going to be here with me. They're going to benefit me. But, But when they leave, it hurts. I remember one pastor friend of mine, he said, Dave, if you, as a pastor, there's this, there's this balance you have to have because you can't be totally crushed every time people leave. But on the other hand, you can't be indifferent and just be like, oh yeah, if they come and go, I don't even care. You, as a pastor, you have to walk, and not just the senior pastor, but everyone who serves in a local church, you walk in this balance of you have to embrace this level of pain, but not so much that it kills you, you know? And, and to me, that's almost like a definition of local church ministry. You embrace this, this pain, but not to the point where it kills you and you can't do it. You know, you've got you've to, you're in that, in that, lo, that labor of love. Um, but I just want to share with you, it, whatever, if it's a position, like in my mind, to be a pastor, that was going to be the thing that fulfilled me or that brought security. Or if I marry this person, that's going to bring me security. Or if I move out of California, that's going to bring me security, you know, um, or whatever it is, that is futile. The only security and peace is walking with God. Amen? So Isaac had to move on, and, and he goes to this place, and for the first time, no one quarreled over that, over that uh, well. Now, again, don't think that now Isaac's life is perfect. Actually, this story is about, okay, fine, he found this place, where they could settle. That's pretty much the only thing that we're looking at today. That's the whole story. There's opposition, but then Isaac finds this place where he can settle. But if you read the rest of the story of, of his life, it's not, it's not a, 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 a sea of roses or a bed of roses. This, remember what happens? Esau and Jacob start fighting. The rest of Isaac's life is a, is a story of family fighting and contention and, and, and warring with people, the Philistines. So it's, this is the story of God helping Isaac lay the foundation. But Isaac's life from here on out is by no means easy. This was, this, this was the story of God, at least though, showing him where he is to settle. And as a father and a husband, that's foundational. Like when, when I go through these times when that is challenged, like David maybe you're not going to stay here in California long term. When that starts to come into my, my aquarium, my like cul-de-sac, that is not a happy moment. When I, when I start, don't, get, don't think that like missionaries, I mean, maybe there are some missionaries that just thrive on change and just love it. That's not me. Every single time our family has moved from one place to another, it's been so hard on me, and I've usually resisted it for six months to two years. Usually, when, when, that, when that voice starts coming, like, there might be a change, I, for me, that's not a happy moment at all. I'm like, because then it's like, okay, but what about all the stuff I was doing here? Now that makes no sense. Now that's like, just going to end. And I'll tell you another thing. When you move on, you, you, you can't think that there is not real loss. You know, like, I'm living with my I'm living with my family right now as we prepare to move for, to Portugal. We've been there for, uh, uh, we've been at my parents' house for, I think, nine months now. And it's funny because my dad and my mom react different, w- differently to us moving. My dad is, like, super positive. Sometimes he's so positive it's, like, irritating. It's like, Dad, you're like, Portugal's awesome. This is going to be great. Wow. My dad's, like, on Google Maps looking at all this stuff. He's researching about Portugal, and he's so positive. And my mom is kind of like, you know, like decorating the tree in Christmas, but kind of depressed and like, you guys are leaving. And like at any moment she might break out in tears. And, and so um, 
I'm more like my mom. You know, I'm more like, yeah, you know what? We're going to Portugal, and yeah, we'll still have Zoom and Skype, and you guys will come visit us, and we'll visit you. But we're going to be separated again. And we, and we, we remember what that was like in, for 16 years in Brazil. You know, we'd come and see my family once a year. And um, so there, there is... There is, real, there is real loss in these times of, of, of transition. Um, but I think the thing that, that we have to recognize is when God is giving us room. That's basically what happens here. In verse 22, it says that, and no one quarreled over that. To be honest, there was a moment here in California where I kind of started to feel like, you know what, we've tried, we've been doing different things, doing things in ministry with our local church, with YWAM. There's been fruit, but it, there, there was, there, I didn't feel the space that I had felt in other moments. Like, in my, I've been married for 21 years. There's been moments in the 21 years that me and Katie have found space that God gave us. And, and, and I just want to ask you guys, just think about this in your own life. Can you guys recognize different moments in your life where you felt that space? It doesn't mean that it's perfect. Again, I'm not trying. I mean, Isaac's life from here on out, it's not perfect by any means. But this is a moment where he finds the space. You guys understand what I'm talking about? Where maybe it's a job or a relationship or a physical location where you're living. You, you find this, this, this space and you can settle. And then there's the opposite of that, right? There's times when you're, you go to a place with all the best intentions, but it just doesn't click. It doesn't, it doesn't fit. And so we have to recognize when God gives us room. That's what, if we read on here, that's what Isaac says about this. Uh, in, in verse 22, continuing here, no one quarreled over it. He named it Re- Rehoboth, saying, now the Lord has given us room, and we will flourish in the land, the Lord has given us room. And that's the thing, brothers and sisters, my, my loved ones, that I just want to encourage you guys to be able to really let this just sink in. That we have to have initiative like Isaac. We have to do our best. We got to get up early. I'm an early, early riser. I, I, me and my wife quarrel about that because sometimes she wants to start working at like 11 at night in bed with the light on. And I'm like, no, I want, I'm trying to go to bed because I'm going to get up at 5 tomorrow, you know? But whatever your work ethic is, if you're a, late, a night owl or an early riser, you know, we all know, yes, the Bible teaches us to work hard, be disciplined. How many of us know what it's like to get into debt? You know, we know what, what happens if we're irresponsible. we got to be like Isaac. I mean, Isaac was not just some hippie, you know? He was out there you know, trying to figure out what to do. He was, he was surrounded by enemies. He was in a drought, and he sends his servants out there to redig these wells. Let's find out how we're going to have water. I mean, can you even just stop in right there and think about taking for granted water? You know, I mean, that's basic, right? I mean, he's just thinking, okay, how are we going to survive? Well, first of all, we've got to have water. We're, we're not surrounded by friends. It's like they're not going to give us water. We've got to find water. So he's in survival mode. So... We have to be go-getters, which as Americans, you know, that's kind of, that's our ethos, right? Um, we're not into the nanny state, you know. Where the, in, in, even if you're, wherever you're at politically, uh, the funny thing is, like, you know, Bernie Sanders, when he was trying to, I, I can't believe I'm talking about politics, sorry. It would just be really quick. But, like, I remember, I remember they did research about Bernie Sanders, and they said, like, would you vote for a Muslim? Would you vote for a homosexual? Would you vote for, they had all these different things. And they said, like, it was like they put, like, would you vote for a socialist, you know? And, and, and in general, the, and this was like a liberal commentator saying this. They said, Bernie, you can't say you're a socialist. It's like, you know, Americans, vote, they don't want that, you know, in general. We're like the self-made man culture, right? I, okay, sorry, I talked about politics, but I, <laughs> forgive me. I'm just trying to make a point, but, like, Yes, we need to be responsible, but we also have to be able to recognize when God gives us space and also recognize where no matter, for all our striving and all our working, it just doesn't seem to be that God is giving us space. On purpose, it's kind of like God, and it's not like, I, I know what it's like too to resist God in these moments and to keep on trying to push through. And uh, 
I, I had an experience in 2014. We went through a church split. It was the, probably the most horrible thing I ever went through in ministry and maybe in life. It was awful. I mean, when I read, I went to a missions conference once about, and they talked about PTSD, and I went through it, and I was like, yeah, that's totally, after that church split, I probably had PTSD <laughs> from what we went through. It was horrible, you know? But it's funny because after that, I feel like I entered into a time where in some ways I was trying to, you know, what's the saying, like kick a dead horse? Or, you know, I was trying to like just, I was digging deep and just trying to make this thing keep going at all costs, whatever could possibly be done. As opposed to just saying, and actually I think I made the church split much worse because if I really would have just said to everyone, you know what, guys, I'm, I'm here I, I am not going to fight at all for me to continue in my position or to vindicate myself. If there's one thing I think I could have done different back then, it would have been to have the courage to just say, you know what, God, if, if, if this is not the space for me, I honestly totally put it on the altar. I said that, you know, but really when I look back, I also was like trying to explain to people my side of everything and I was running around and and, uh, and so I know what it's like when the space starts to shrink and you, and you just try to jam it through and ram it through as opposed to saying, God, am I supposed to move on? And, and where is the space? And again, it's, I'm not talking about some perfect, you know, desert, tropical island of peace. I'm not talking about that, but I'm, just, I'm talking about where there is the grace and the joy to thrive. Where is the, the, some people don't even, I think some people are a problem is that we've, we've actually accepted an, an idea that God doesn't even really want us to thrive, or maybe that's not even possible. We come to a point where we're like, oh yeah, when I got saved and, and I had all this vision and these dreams, but then I realized what life is really like. And we think that that's wisdom. You know, we lower our expectations way down and we think that that's wisdom. And, and I just want to challenge you that the Lord has given me a, a, a a message for you that no, God has much, much more. God has, what God has is infinite, infinitely more. No eye has seen, no ear has heard. And Lord, I just, I just want to pray right now for myself, for Osborne Neighborhood Church, for the leaders. Lord, just open our hearts. I, I'm talking here, I'm telling stories, I'm reading your, your scripture, but Lord, Holy Spirit, just, just impress right now, Lord. Wherever our hearts have become shrunk and, and, and whatever promises where we kind of just diminished what we thought was possible. And, uh, oh, Lord, just ha have mercy on us, God. And we repent, Lord. We repent of unbelief, Lord, of, of just uh, kind of accepting a consolation prize as opposed to the destiny, which is not fame and prosperity necessarily, you know, the, the human uh, uh, concept of success, but it is something wonderful, Lord. Even if some of us, Lord, you've called us to serve in obscurity and to a road where there's going to be suffering that seems like it's more than others, but Lord, we know that if that's what you have for us, it's going to be the most amazing adventure. Even if other people scratch their heads and look at us and say, wow, it looks like they went off the deep end on this whole Jesus thing and look where it got them. But we know that even if the world doesn't understand, if we follow you, we will never regret it, Lord. We will, we will even if people just curse and laugh at us, we'll be like, you are the ones who are cursed and whose life is laughable. I'm living the dream of following Jesus. Don't feel sorry for me. I feel sorry for you. I am following the Lord. Lord, I just pray that that would be our, our uh, legado. I don't know how to say that in English. That, that would be our legacy, Lord. Um, Lord, let that be our legacy, God. And so um, we can't expect panacea, but we have to recognize when God gives us room. Um, and you know what's funny? Finding our, our place to flourish as we're on this journey um, some way, sometimes it can seem like it's a process of elimination. You know, oh, I tried this, and that didn't work out. I tried that. But, but I, 
I think it's, it's not really like that necessarily in our lives because actually as we go through our lives and these different phases, there are treasures along the road. That's what it says in, isn't it Psalm 84 that says that those who, who find treasures or, or they find wells in the valley of, of tears. And I, I, I have felt God correcting me on that personally because sometimes I'll be like, oh yeah, I remember those first seven years when I was in ministry doing evangelism. And then I realized that I really am not very good at that, you know? I mean, and then I could kind of feel like, well, the purpose of those seven years was to find out that I'm not an evangelist. But I think that's not true because actually those seven years were great. I, I, was, I was out of my element. I was being stretched, but I was preaching in the street. I remember going to San Francisco and, and you know, street preaching and passing out tracts and traveling all over the world, going to India, going to places in Asia and and again, I looked around and I was like, you know what, I don't think this is my long-term call to be traveling all the time and being, you know, evangelizing on the streets. But I also don't think, wouldn't it be the stupidest thing to think that the purpose of those seven years was just for me to figure out that I'm not an evangelist? Of course not. So my point is, yes, in our lives, there's these transitions, there, there's these things that we try to do and we come to realize more and more what our specific gift is. But it's not just a process of elimination, you know? It's not just like, oh, yeah, God had to lead me through all those experiences so I could try, finally find the place. Because I, uh, missionaries, I was raised in missionary culture. We have, we have a problem sometimes of focusing so much on the future and the destiny one day that will happen. And I've come to realize that, that the present is, is so important, and I want to have joy right now, and I want to enjoy right now. And, and see, this is the thing, and I'll be really honest with you. Part of me could look at this time in America, these three years, and think that it was just kind of like, what was that all about? Like, if I was just supposed to go to Portugal, why did I even spend three years here? Because I'll tell you, for the three years, two and a half of those years, I thought I was trying to build a long-term ministry here. I wasn't here for three years thinking I'm moving on. Only in the last six months did I, did I transition into, we're going to move to Portugal, you know? So it's a temptation. And, and the enemy often will try to get my heart to think that God is not good and to think that, that God is kind of like leads you into a, a dead end and that it's kind of like, well... God's ways are higher than our ways, and well, we'll just keep, we'll just keep buggering on, as you know, my my like English friends would say. But that's wrong. That the Lord, His purposes, even if we don't understand, even if what we imagine doesn't happen, it's it's still much better than anything we could have gotten or done in our own strength. So. Uh, Sometimes these in-between times are, are, are the best times. I, I, I've had this, this experience these last three years to be near my family um, that I ha didn't have for most of my missionary life. And uh, I look back, too, and I think, man, these three years, I, if there's anything I regret, it's probably that I didn't spend more time with my mom and dad because I was always just worried about the stuff I needed to do and striving, and, and it's just amazing that the time that we have, we, we don't know how long it'll be. After service today, I'm going to go visit my, my grandma, Joy. This could be the last time I spend time with her. That's, that's very real reality. You know, she says that to me. So it's our striving and, and sometimes focusing so much on the future and all our plans that so often robs us of what God's trying to give us in the moment. And the in-between times is really our whole life. If you look at Hebrews, Hebrews 11, verse 13, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things they had promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Verse 38, the world was not worthy of them. They wandered. They wandered. 
the heroes. Like I talked bad about the hippies, but the hippies, they always have that bumper sticker, not all that wander alone, right? They wandered in the deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us they would be made perfect. So the biblical vision of life is that God created us to wander by faith and to receive what He can give us which is much better than what we can get on our own. That's the vision that we have to have. We can't hold on to things. We can't hold on to our kids. What if God calls my kids to be missionaries or just to move out of state? We can't can't hold on. That's not not the life that God has created us for. And, And missionary life is like a prophetic exaggeration of this. Missionary life is not because... God doesn't call people to be missionaries because he, he needs them so bad to fulfill what he wants to do, and those missionaries are so important. I, I think that that is part of it, but also we're just supposed to be a prophetic image to the whole church. Not that what we do is any more significant or even harder, but it's, it's a prophetic image. It's like Abraham and, and Sarah, this faith journey that seems so crazy. You know, they're like in their 90s and, and God's giving them this promise. You're still going to be the father of many nations. And when I tell people about what we're doing, going to Portugal, it's funny because I got to be careful because people's unbelief will start to sow seeds of fear in me. You know, they'll be like, well, what about this? And what about that? And what are you guys going to do? And, you know, I mean, like, for example, Portugal is like 99.999% uh, Catholic. And it's totally different uh, ecosystem than, than coming from America where we have Bible colleges and universities, Christian universities, and a whole, you know, you could be a, sending out your resume to get a youth pastor job or a missions pastor job. You, there's a whole huge industry of church and missions in North America, more than anywhere else. Portugal, there's nothing like that, you know? There's no Bible colleges. A church with like 50 people, that's been there for a hundred years, that's like a mega church. You know, I mean, th- that's just, you, you have to recalibrate your whole expectation. And most people in Portugal that are even most pastors and especially missionaries have to be bivocational. They have to do some other activity to provide for themselves because it's just a different, uh, it's just a different reality. Um, so sometimes, you know, I, I start to think myself too about, yeah, how exactly is this all going to work? And the truth is, I don't know. I, I don't know. Uh, we're gonna, we're gonna. Uh, we, Katie's booked an Airbnb for a month in a neighborhood in Lisbon by the YWAM base, and so we have that. We have our tickets. We have a visa, um, and uh, I mean, even the visa. This is something I haven't even really talked to Katie about, but it's funny because we applied for this residency visa. It's called a D7 visa. When we got the visas back, it didn't say D7. It just said. It said D7 on this like paper someone had written, but on the actual sticker, it looks just like a regular tourist visa. And, and I haven't even called the embassy because I don't want to know. We're going. <laughs> you know? And many times I've thought about talking to Katie about like, hey, babe, did you notice it doesn't even say D7 on the visa? It just says 120 days. You know, this is weird. It's like three months. Like, that's what we were trying to avoid. That's what we went through this huge process. It's just... But I, I don't, I'm going, man. It's like, I, like I, I'm, I'm, we sold everything. We have, we're going with six bags. Um, and uh, so missionary life is a prophetic exaggeration of this. We either see by faith before and during we, we, uh, this journey or just in hindsight. And so many times, brothers and sisters, I'm a person, I'll be honest, I, during the journey, I'm complaining, I'm depressed, I'm not hopeful, and after I see that God was with us and he did something awesome, but I want to grow. How many of you want to grow with me? I want to be the one who sees before and during and, and not just after, be like, yeah, you know what? It was okay. And actually, it wasn't okay. It was awesome. Like, actually, what God did was so cool. Man, that was great. 
I want to be, I want to grow, Lord, help us to grow, to see before and and during. Um, So, uh, and and then, you know, the study here ends with basically Isaac, uh, in verse 24, it says, that night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. Isaac built an altar there and called in the name of the Lord. There he pitched his tent, and there his servants dug a well. And so victory over adversity is what leads to intimacy with God. You know, what's the end result of this? It's worship. It's the presence of God. It's, it's Isaac hearing the voice of God. Isaac building an altar. That's, that's ultimately what God is leading us to, is so that we would know him. It's not even necessarily what we're producing, but it is the intimacy with God. And, and real Real worship and mission only come through that process of adversity. You know, it's actually as, as we face this adversity and we get angry, and that, I think that that's really where we discover our calling. Is, is there certain things that, that just really get to us, you know? Certain needs that we're just like, man, I, can, I, I cannot stomach this. I cannot tolerate stuff that I see going around in my neighborhood, you know? I cannot... I, I, there's just something about this that just I can't accept. And that's actually where mission comes from in our lives. And uh, it's different for each one of us. And if, that, if, if, if God didn't allow the adversity, we would never identify for that. So, so let's thank God. Are we supposed to press through or, or move on? The only way to know is by walking with God. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him and He will make your path straight. Stay close to God. This is my point of application as I'm wrapping up here. Real simple. Stay close to God and walk and talk with Him. Stay close to Him. So, be be flexible, be hopeful. He's always working on giving you a huge blessing. So, talking about us going to to Portugal, um, our vision, please pray for us. We have a few contacts with some local churches there. We're local church people, so the first thing we do whenever we get somewhere is find out where God wants us to serve in the local church. So that's the first thing we're going to be needing your prayer for, to find a local church there that God wants us to serve and be a part of. Um, The YWAM base is, uh, I'll, I'll jump to a map here, we're going to be in the area of Lisbon, which is central Portugal, um, where there's a YOM base, and they actually sponsored our, our visa, and they've been really helpful. They're going to pick us up from the airport, and uh, so uh, they're really involved in uh, social projects with the Salvation Army and helping homeless people, and they do a bunch of stuff. You know, Portugal is the only first world nation where people speak Portuguese. All the other nations that speak Portuguese are third world nations like Angola. Many of the most war-torn and impoverished countries in Africa are Portuguese-speaking. Angola, Guinea-Bissau, Mozambique, uh, Sao Tomé, Príncipe Island. So, and then also Brazil is, is a country with a lot of poverty. So Portugal is a destination where a lot of people from the Portuguese-speaking world, they immigrate. And so even though Portugal is in Europe, and it's a, it's, a, it's a relatively safe country, but there are a lot of social problems there. There's a lot of immigrants who come who need help. And so YWAM in Portugal does a lot of ministry to those people. Um, our vision, too, is to continue producing online content. I'm doing a lot of stuff with my dad, helping him to produce online, online content, and I'm going to continue doing that from Portugal. And so prayer requests, please pray for us as we try to get health insurance, um, in Af- during the month that we're in the Airbnb, we're going to be looking for an apartment to rent. We don't have a bank account. I don't even know how you do that. How do you rent uh, an apartment when you have no his- history there? Like in Brazil, when we moved there, my wife is from there, so we could get people to co-sign on a lease and things like that. We don't have any connection to Portugal at all, except for just phone calls and meeting people through Skype and stuff. So um, we need to get a car and uh, get the kids into school. And then just, you know, that God would help us to develop relationships and partnerships. Um, here's a photo of us. And uh, so that's us. And, and, and that's my message to you. I, I pray that 
I'd like to just close in prayer. And uh, I don't know, Pastor Ryan, if you guys do more worship after or... Yeah. So, okay, great. So if you want to stand up, um, I just want to pray an application of this message. Lord, I, I thank you so much for Osborne Neighborhood Church. Thank you for this time to be with them. And I thank you for, I hope, Lord, I hope that I was able to share really the way things are, God. Uh, not, not just, of course, what your word says is exactly what it says, and it's, you know, knock on wood, your word is true, Lord. It will not return void. But I know, too, when, when we come and we share, we, we can say stuff like, I trust in the Lord with all my heart, or we can say, God's in control. But I feel like the real anointing comes when we share things that we've really learned in walking with you, God. And, 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 and I just hope, Lord, that in what I've said, I've been able to transmit some reality, Lord. Uh, and, and, and the reality, too, of this transition in our lives as a prophetic example, because I believe that that's what missionaries are supposed to be. It's not just that we're going to go there and do amazing things that could never have happened without us, but it's that we're sent out from where we're from. I'm from here, the San Fernando Valley, grew up in Lake New Terrace. We're, we're sent out so that the communities that we're sent out from, they witness they witness our journey, not for our glory, but for your glory, Lord, to just see how amazing you are and to see, too, that really you use the weak things. I mean, you use the people who actually struggle with unbelief, people like me who actually struggle with uh, depression, you know, uh, that struggle with discouragement sometimes. And, and sometimes murmur and sometimes give in to lies of the enemy that, that speak against your character, Lord. And, and you, you use people like me, God. And you just, the, the story of our, of our lives and missions is just a story of being rescued over and over by you, Lord. And, and so, Lord, I just want to bear witness to that. And I, and I just pray, Lord, that not because my words were persuasive, but just that your Holy Spirit would just come in a way that just transcends it passes understanding just touches hearts right now lord in their in their questions god maybe very similar questions to what we've talked about here about career about physical location where they live about plans lord just just minister to them god and and i don't even feel to pray right now that you just answer the questions but that you just remind them of, of the real answer, which is just walk with God. Walk with God. It's your devotional life. You know, it's that's not legalism. You know, the idea that you need to be reading the Bible, you need to be praying. That's just good, basic horse sense. It's like Christian horse sense. It's like, yes, walk with the Lord. Read His Word. Talk to Him. Don't think you're going to be doing well if you forsake that. Be in the church. Walk with the local community. It's so simple. It's not easy. It's not easy, but, but it isn't complicated. So, Lord, I, I thank you for this time, Lord. Bless this church, Lord, in Jesus' name.